Well, this morning I'd like to have you turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 in your Bibles. First of all, it's so good to have you with us this morning. It's always a joy when the family of God gets together and worships the Lord together. When you look at all the things that are happening in the world today, as we saw what happened this weekend in France, it can do two things to us. The first thing it does is it sometimes angers us. We get angry not only at those who do what they do so mercilessly and, and uh, wickedly, we get angry at those who don't see the problem, the ones that should see it but don't see it. But as believers in Jesus Christ, what we need to see more than anything else is that Jesus told us that this is the way it was going to be before he came. And if that's the case, then we need to be thank thanking the Lord that he's coming. And we need to be looking for that return of Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind you of that before we get into the study this morning. Jesus said there's going to be all kinds of deception going on in the world. The enemy is going to throw everything at you. He's going to try to deceive you in the church. And many in the church have been deceived already. But keep looking up, Jesus said. And lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am there, you will be also. This is for the church. This is for you, believer in Jesus Christ. Keep looking up. Stay in the spirit. Because I tell you what, the first reaction is always in the flesh. Ooh, ah, ooh, you know, we get so upset. But get into the spirit. And say, Lord, come quickly. That's what the word Maranatha means. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come quickly. All right. We better get into our text today. John chapter 6. You know, one of the sad things about those deceptions that I was talking about in the church is that so many people profess to be believers in Jesus Christ, but their lives are, as one person said, are the they, they've become as theoretical atheists. Theoretical atheists. They say they're believers, but they don't believe. They don't believe that God can do what he does and what he said he did. If you tell them that the Lord created the, the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days, they say, well, no, you know, you, you know the, well, the earth is a lot older because, you know, the scientists are saying that, you know, the earth is, a, you know, billions of years old and blah, 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 and this and that. But God said what he said. So I believe God. Then you, you know, they, say they look at certain stories as we're going to look at one account of something that did happen. And we know it happened because all four Gospels tell us it happened. 
Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families from a little boy's lunch. And they say, well, that's a nice story. It's pretty symbolic of just, you know, things that, you know, people probably realize they had their own lunch and they kind of shared it with everybody else. And, and so it's, it's just symbolic of someone giving of their own so that others can have. Because scientifically, it's just it's not possible. And I started thinking about Skeleto. Is that was his name, Skeleto from Nacho Libre? <laughs> May I quote this? person who said I don't believe in God I believe in science right but is that what people are in the church are saying too I kind of believe in God but I believe in science more but what does the word of God say after these things, the things that happened in chapter 5, obviously, the healing of the lame man who had been lame for 38 years, who had never walked in his life, was now walking. And the scrutiny came violently against Jesus and began to become more violent as, as we go on. And Jesus shows himself, declares who he is, to the religious leaders of Israel. After all of that, we're told that after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee. So now there's some time elapsed because what had happened previously was in Jerusalem. Now they're back up in the north in the Galilee region. And it says, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. They saw. They saw Jesus do things that they had never seen before. People who were sick were no longer sick. Diseases that were on the bodies of people had fallen off of their bodies and they were now clean. People who could never see were seeing. People who couldn't walk were walking. And after this it says that Jesus went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. This is all just setting the stage for something that we need to say today. I believe Jesus can do this. Those fish are a little bit too big for our story. And those pieces of bread are just a little too plump. But there are five loaves and there's two fish. So as I mentioned, for any event to take place in the earthly ministry of Jesus and, and be mentioned in all four Gospels, places a great deal of importance upon the event itself. That is the case with this account of the feeding of the 5,000 men and their families. In comparing the other Gospel accounts, this particular event took place after the beheading of John the Baptist by King Herod Antipas. Now, the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of Mark today, but the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, also reminds us that at this time as well, the 12 apostles had just returned from their mission trip in the Galilee. Jesus had sent his apostles out, and they saw wondrous things. 
They proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, but they saw wondrous things. And God did many great things through them. So they were all pretty excited at what God had done through them, and they were also very tired from their journey and the work that they had just completed. And so the Lord takes them to a deserted place by the Sea of Galilee, a hilly area overlooking the Great Lake. There are places there even today where you can sit and relax on a hillside and be captivated by the beauty of the scenery. Well, a dilemma arose as multitudes of people who had seen the miracles Jesus had performed were coming to seek him. And, and, when they had, and when they saw him get into a boat to cross over to the sea, over the Sea of Galilee, they, they ran ahead and actually beat him on foot to the other side. And since it was time for Passover, these multitudes may have been on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. That's why Passover is mentioned. And thus we're going to see some 5,000 men plus women and children how they gathered around Jesus. Maybe some 12 to 15,000 people in total. Maybe even more. Now let's keep in mind that Jesus came to give his men some rest. Remember that. But there was ministry to do. There was always ministry to do. There's something about ministry. It, all, it happens at some of the most inopportune times. It never happens when we want it to happen. But that's why we have to always be ready. We in the ministry always have to remember that we, we have to face unexpected moments. But sometimes in those unexpected moments, we see the greatest things happen. So there Jesus takes his men to rest and there was ministry to do and God would give them strength as he will give us strength for the work that is out there meeting the spiritual as well as physical needs of people. When you pray for people who are sick, when you pray for people who are needy, when you give to those who are needy, that's ministry. That never stops. But to press on into our understanding of this, this particular part of the chapter, we need to understand the fact that God's strength is ours because he's given it to us in this manner. Consider, if you will, Psalm 18. Because in Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2, David says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. He says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. You, God, are my strength. This is what we need to acknowledge as believers in Jesus Christ, is that we have a God who is the strength of our lives. And then he says, the Lord is my rock. Notice what he says. Notice what he says the, the Lord is to him. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. And he would have gone on and on and on. But we wouldn't have had room on this slide to put it all there. My God, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the shield, our shield, our defense. Now, if you jump down a little bit in, in the psalm, down to verse 29, he says, For by thee I have run through a troop. I've gone, I've gone even through armies. 
through you. And by my God, have I leaped over a wall. He's better than Superman because of his God. And then he says, as for, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried or tested, proven. The word of the Lord. If God says something, he's good for it, in other words. You understand that? And then he says, he is a buckler to all those that trust in him. The buckler is a, is a smaller uh, uh, shield than the big shield we talked about in the shield of faith last week. And then he says, for who is God? Save the Lord. In other words, there is no other God but our God. And then he says, or who is a rock? Save our God. Jesus was with his disciples, and if his disciples, though they were excited about what they had seen and what they had done in this missionary journey, they needed time to rest, and they needed time to remember that Jesus was their strength. Jesus was their strength, just as he is your strength and my strength. So as we look at the next section of this passage, consider, if you will, the compassion of Jesus, because this is what it all comes down to, the compassion of Jesus. Look at verses five through seven. It says, it is God, oh, I, I, I forgot one verse, oh no. It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. Okay, you got it? All right, we're, we're good with the strength of the Lord, right? All right, let's go on to verse five. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now this is an interesting question given to one of his disciples. He says to Philip, now listen, Philip, look at all these people. There's about 18,000 people here, maybe 15,000, maybe even 12. If, if we want to go on the low end, 12,000 people here. But Philip, where can we go to buy food to feed all these people? Philip? Philip? Philip's out there pillowing out his, you know, his calculator. Well, Lord? Now, now think why Jesus said this. This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. It's a little test here. The Lord tests us a little bit, you know, tries us, checks us out, see where we're at with him. Philip's been with him all this time now, however long the time has been. Poor Philip, man. I, you, you remember it being picked out in class? I remember, I was a teacher. I remember that look many, many times. You know, could etch it in, you know, bronze it. And this he said to prove him, to test him, for he himself knew. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He wasn't asking because he didn't know where, you know, where the Walmart was there. And Philip answered after doing all his calculations. He says, well, 200 penny worth of bread. Now, penny worth is, is the old English term. The real term is denarius or denarii. He said, 200 denarii of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. In other words, even if we had 200 denarii, which is about eight, month, eight, eight months of wage for one person, even if we had that much, we couldn't even give any little crumbs to people. 
We might not even have enough crumbs for everybody. Philip, where can we go buy bread? Philip, you've been with me. You've seen what I've done. You know who I am. Where should we get bread? Let me first say that trying to meet human needs by any other source than Jesus Christ is doomed to failure and will not satisfy. Do you believe that? I hope so. Secondly, faith and trust are essential for God to meet human need. We have to trust the Lord. However, there are several levels of faith and trust. And this is the lesson that man must learn in order to see that Christ is the bread of life. The provision for human need. As we're told, Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he, but he used the occasion to test and to strengthen not only Philip, but all of the disciples. Because see, Philip was singled out and everybody was going like, oh, Philip. And then the Lord would turn to them and say, oh, no, all of you. All of you. He was going to teach them a tremendous lesson on faith. They were as we all are. Every one of us in this room, we're full of needs. We have needs. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can say, I thank God that every day he meets my physical and, and, and material needs. But every day we have spiritual needs as well. And only Jesus himself can fill all of those needs. But their greatest need, just like our greatest need, is to grow in faith. It is to grow in faith. By the way, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, and keep your finger in Mark here for just a moment. We'll get, come back. But in Mark 6, 34, in this account, the same account, it says that Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Do you notice what he did? He saw them as, as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them. See, there are those that say, you know, when we see people that are in need, we want to meet those physical needs. But Jesus went immediately to the spiritual need. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he went to meet their spiritual need. He taught them many things. Jesus saw these people as lost. He saw them as wandering without a shepherd to guide them. He felt their pain. He felt their loneliness. He felt their discouragement, even their despair. And so he began to teach them the things of his Father, the things of God. Because what else would Jesus teach? What else? I sometimes look at websites of other ministries and stuff, and I, I see one ministry, you know, in, in, along the, the, line, the, the, the lines of word of faith movement type thing, you know, where, you know, they say, well, you can be rich, and you should be rich, and you shouldn't have any problems, because all you have to have is faith, and blah, 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 and then you, you look, and then they have a separate, uh, 
website, you know, that, you can, that connects to it that says, oh, listen, uh, you know, now, now this person, he has his own, what, he, what does he do? Well, he goes out and, 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 he, and he speaks, you know, as, a, as one of these motivational type speakers, a motivational speaker. You know, for me, there's no greater motivation than knowing Christ. There's no greater motivation than knowing the God who created us and knowing how much he loves us and knowing that we're to love him. And I just want to love him more. So he began to teach them the things of God. But now it was getting late, and, and Jesus would ask Philip a question that was going to just blow his mind, right? <laughs> so to speak, because he's trying to figure out how to accomplish this task in the power of the flesh. Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now keep in mind that we're talking about feeding some five or 15,000 people. And here's what we learn about what Jesus knew he was going to do. Jesus was going to stretch Philip's faith. Has God ever stretched you? Stretching hurts sometimes. Well, especially if they put you on a rack. And if you're 5'7", then you become 6'2". Yeah, that hurts. But Jesus was going to stretch Philip's faith to help him grow. But he was doing it for all of his disciples, and he does it for us. As I said, the 200 penny worth that Philip mentioned in verse 7 of our text, literally in the Greek, it is the diakonos. Diakosion denarion, which, which just translates, you know, to the 200 denarii, which was about eight months' wages for a laborer or a soldier. In fact, a day's wage was one denarii, or a denarius, as it were, <laughs> which is interesting, but the word denarius literally means ten donkeys. I don't know where all that fits in, but I just thought I'd mention that. But again, that was the daily wage, about 17 cents today. Anywhere from 17 cents down to about 12 cents. That's the daily wage. How many of us can, can live on that? Of course we can. Won't God stretch it? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not testing you all today. Okay. But you see, even that would not be enough to feed all these people. Philip was looking and figuring and calculating within the context of the physical, the material realm, and when he began looking to man instead of the master, he was just coming up short. Because that's what happens when we begin to look to man instead of the master. We all come up short. Have you, have you ever heard of something called pessimistic faith? I mean, that's an oxymoron. Pessimistic faith. Think about that statement. Uh, we all understand optimism, pessimism as the world sees it, right? Op optimist, an optimist says the, the glass is half full. The pessimist says the glass is half empty, right? Y'all understand that, okay? It's, a, it's an interesting phrase. I, I saw this and I thought, I, I, I want to examine this. Why, why, why does somebody call something pessimistic faith? So to be clear, let me just say outright that a pessimistic faith is no faith at all. Got it? A pessimistic faith is no faith at all. But to get an idea of what some people mean by a pessimistic faith, I want you to consider that a pessimistic faith sees money and resources, and that's all it sees. That's all it sees. 
It sees only the available resources. And so a pessimistic faith stresses hopelessness. It stresses the impossibility of the situation. It despairs of such meager resources. But most importantly, a pessimistic faith does not see God or the power of God. It forgets what the Lord had done in the past. And this is what we have to remember. Jesus has shown them. Jesus has sent them out. God has done great things through the ministry of the the apostles themselves. They see what Jesus can do. He turned water into wine. He healed a lame man. He, He healed a man from 20 miles away. Do you forget those things? Or do you remember them to know that when you are facing a particular need, you still have the God who has the power to give you what you need for that moment? Jesus had already shown himself to be the Messiah through his healings and miracles, but how did the disciples react in times of trial? I've oftentimes said this, you know, sometimes the the disciples are actually apostles, apostles, Remember in, in school you got an A for things that were, you did good? They were the apostles sometimes, but sometimes they become the disciples. For you teachers out there. How did the disciples react in times of trial? And what would the Lord Jesus tell them? Well, let's, let's go, if you're still in Mark, go back to chapter 4. This is a different situation. But notice, it's before the feeding of the 5,000. So in Mark 4, verse 35, it says the same day when the, ev- when the evening or the, uh, the even was come, which is the evening, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. So they're on the sea, right? Sea of Galilee. And then it says, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. So there were other people following out in the ships. And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Full of what? Full of water. All right? And he was in the hinder part of the ship, which means he was down under whatever room they had inside of the ship that was underneath everything else. He was under that. And asleep on a pillow. Jesus was asleep on the job. And he had a pillow. I love that. And they awake him and they say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? What had he just done? Go back a few pages to see all the things that Jesus had done. And the people were following him because he had done these things. And they said, well, care is not that we perish the storm of the water. Ah. And he rose and rebuked the wind, saith unto the sea, shalom, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? Now get the next thing that he says. How is it that you have no faith? Now at times we've heard Jesus say, Oh ye of little faith. This this was 
This was championship stuff here. How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. They're not fearing the storm because the storm's passed. They said one to another, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him? Hello, disciples. He's already told you who he is, what he does, what he can do. That kind of faith, if we can call it that, that kind of faith fails to think of God's power. It fails to think of God's power. Its mind is on earthly things, not on spiritual things. As, as the Apostle Paul would say to Romans 8, verses 5 and 6, he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. When you wake up in the morning, are you after the things of the flesh? When you pray, when you, when, you, when you read your devotional, when you read your scriptures, are you after the flesh or after the spirit? That's the best time to get into the spirit. It's when you begin the day. Or after your first cup of coffee. That kind of faith feels that the problem is either too big for God in his power, or it is too little for God to be interested in. Let me say that again. That kind of faith feels that the problem is either too big for God's power, or it is too little for God to be interested in. You ever heard people say, well, God's too busy. What do you mean he's too busy? He's God. He knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. And by the way, when he rested on the, on the seventh day, he didn't rest going, oh my God, I'm so tired. The rest came because things were done. Thank the Lord that Jesus' love and compassion are really front and center here in this, in this account. His compassion, his love, this is what it's about here. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 of our text in John. Oh, I forgot one more verse. Man, I'm forgetting verses today. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If we're only thinking from the fleshly things, I mean, you know, flesh is going to die. But if we stay in the spirit, being spiritually minded, that's life. And that's peace. Okay? All right. Get it back to John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. It says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Andrew, oh, Andrew, finally, right? Finally, somebody stands up and he says, you know, which was Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, saith unto him, there's a lad here. The word lad is an interesting word in the Greek. It just means a, 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 just a very young boy. Uh, there's, there's a lad here which, which has five barley loaves, translated as five barley crackers. And, and two small fishes. He's got five barley crackers, two small fishes. Lord, there's a young man with, with this. And you think, yes, yes, we're getting there. We're getting to the understanding here. 
And then comes the word, but. But. But what are they among so many? Oh, Andrew, Hello, disciples, disciples. Andrew. Oh, I thought we had something going here, man. Points to this young lad, has those five barley crackers, two small fish, which were more likely sardines. Remember I said those fish were too big in the picture? Yeah, these were about these big, you know, right there. And Andrew says, but what are they among so many? Interpretation, Lord, there isn't a whole lot to work with here. Now question, does the Lord need a lot to work with? Does the Lord need a lot to work with? That is, the Lord who created the barley and the fish. And does the Lord need our help? That, that would be the one who spoke all things into existence. Does he need our help? Now here's a question you want to grasp. What can the Lord do when a child's lunch is put into his hands? What can the Lord do when a child's lunch is put into his hands? Notice what verse 10 says. And Jesus said, now there's the lunch. It's there. Andrew said, hey, we got a, a little boy with this lunch. But oh, I don't think it's enough. What can you do with this? And Jesus said, okay. What does he say here? In, 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 in effect, he said, we got something to work with. How big is a mustard seed? It's really small. That's all you need. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. Circle in your Bibles, not in the church's Bible, but circle in your Bibles the word make. Make. Make the men sit down. How many are there? 5,000 men. We know that. Now there was much grass in the place. I'm thankful that we're not living in the late 60s, early 70s because this would have taken on a full different meaning for some people. <laughs> there was much grass in the place. Well, it's still in Colorado. <clears throat> no, this is the grass that you sit on, uh, that you have on all your lawns, okay? That's, that's this grass, okay. Just to clarify for somebody. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. All right. There are two passages that we need to add to this verse. We go to Mark chapter 6 again, verses 39 and 40, and he commanded them to make all sit down. Notice, make. He commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. Circle green grass. This is, this is so important, so beautiful. Green grass. Got it? Okay, make them sit down on the green grass by companies. Verse 40 says they, were, they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. So hundreds and fifties, hundreds and fifties, and they all sat down in groups together. Let's add one more verse, Matthew 14, verse 21. Remember, it's the same account. 
And, and it says that they had eaten, they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. So we know that it wasn't just the men. It was their families as well. Okay? Now can I add one more verse for my own pleasure? All right, let's add one more verse. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. You all know it, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now look at the next verse. He maketh, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Isn't that beautiful? How connected this is to the feeding of the 5,000. Because he had seen these people, this multitude, as sheep without a shepherd. And what he's saying here is, I'm the good shepherd. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You can read on later, but you know the beauty of that psalm. So now, being the time of Passover, springtime, the hills were bursting forth with beautiful wildflowers and grass. Made me want to jump into one of those songs of the 60s again, you know. Flowers in her hair. Yeah, that kind of thing. Flowers everywhere. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to do that today. I did. All right. The Lord had the people sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties to make it easier to count the multitudes. It certainly proves that our God is a God of order and not of disorder. So as pertaining to the picture that we find in Psalm 23, let's, let's not even, even, in, even go here. Are you ready? Let, let's not ever... Let's not ever be too busy to lie down in his green pastures. Because sometimes we become too busy to know what great things God has for us in his pastures. Never be too busy to lie down in his pastures to receive from him everything that he wants to impart to us everything that he wants to impart. And so in verse 11 of our text, Jesus took the loaves. Now this is, we can miss this. Jesus took the loaves. In effect as well, we'll see at the end, he also takes the fishes. But he takes the lunch of this young boy. He took it. In this exchange, what do we have? The boy has given up his lunch. The lunch no longer belongs to the boy. The lunch belongs to Jesus. And in fact, that lunch could fit in his hand, in one of his hands. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... You see how simple that is? Jesus didn't just all of a sudden say, well, this is just not very much at all. <laughs> he gave thanks. What is he doing? He's teaching us. You see something? 
Thank the Lord for it. Thank him for it. It's not a lot. But if it's in God's hands, it's everything we need. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. This is the, the beauty of what took place that day. He distributed to the disciples out of this little lunch. Okay, here, 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 here to yeah, 12 disciples. Here, here, go, start feeding them. Okay, come back. Here, 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 a little bit more. Here, here, here. There's some love. Come on, get Philip, Andrew, get over here. And, and, and then just kept doing and just kept distributing. Because that's what it says. It continued to distribute to the disciples. The disciples took the, uh, took the food to the people. And they kept going to every group and bringing more, more food to them. Because Jesus kept distributing. Now you have to understand now, most of the people sitting down probably don't know what's going on. Unless somebody really looking and saying, where's all this food coming from? But he just kept distributing. He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. They just kept going and they kept running. Oh, we got another group of 50 over here. Another group of 100. Way back over there. Okay, here we go. But then they wonder, where are we getting all this stuff? And likewise, of the fishes, as much as they would. Okay, got the bread out there. Okay, here comes the fish. A little bit of fish. Big fish, a little more fish. Big. Now the big fish start coming. The ones from the picture, you know. And, they, and he starts giving out more. And they come and, man, how's he doing this? I don't believe in science. I believe in God. When they were filled... Circle the word filled, coming back to it. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. A good mom and dad, they say, hey, listen, what you didn't eat, let's pack up and put in the refrigerator for leftovers. Go get the leftovers. And therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. 12 baskets. Now, we don't know how big the baskets were, but we'd have to feel that they were substantial enough to hold a lot of food. People were traveling, and usually they travel with a basket, you know, to put all their goods inside of it, you know. They didn't have Samsonite in those days, you know, so they probably didn't have much in their food baskets to eat anyway, so... The Lord had filled 12 baskets of all of what was remaining after feeding 15,000 people. So now, if anyone demonstrates the kind of strong faith that his disciples are to have in God, it is Christ himself, isn't it? If anyone demonstrates that kind of strong faith that his disciples are to have in God, Jesus Christ is the one who can do it. Consider that Jesus took what he had and he gave thanks to the Father for what he had been given to work with. He had a meager supply of bread and what probably amounted to fish spread. 
little fish, you know, that you probably just kind of put on the bread and just kind of spread out over, over it. Items that he could hold easily in the palm of his hand, but he did not stand there looking at the meagerness of what he had, questioning or being gripped with despair and hopelessness. He looked up and he gave thanks to the Father. He gave thanks. You see, what we think of as insignificant, what we may think of as insignificant, God can use and multiply as we see in our next uh, in, as we see in our text here. All this young lad had to do, all this young little boy had to do was give what he had to Jesus. And Jesus took it. And he fed every one of those people who were seated on that, hill, seated on that hillside. In fact, the statement in verse 12 where I told you the circle of the word filled, when they were filled... The Greek word there is empiplemi, empiplemi, which speaks of being stuffed. Just like you'll be in a few weeks on Thanksgiving. You'll be sitting there going, man, I'm empiplemi. <laughs> if you need to spell it, it's E-M-P-I-P-L-E-M-I, empiplemi. Say that around your family, they'll just think you're crazy, Okay. Shut up and watch football. Okay. So now some commentators feel that this story is merely symbolic. No real miracle took place. I've actually read a commentary where somebody was supposedly a very good Bible commentator. Couldn't figure out, you know, how this all happened. It just was obviously didn't believe in miracles. So he says, you know, and I think in every account of each of the Gospels that he comments on, that somehow Jesus had food inside of his, you know, the robe, the, you know, the sleeves of his robe, you know. Cans of tuna, you know. Ritz crackers, whatever. Others say that miracle, you know, that the miracle was in the people sharing what little they had one with another by example by the example of the little boy being that he gave his whole lunch, you know, so they, they kind of spiritualize it. But those explanations aren't even close to the meaning intended by John. And by the way, not just by John, but by Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. Four gospel writers make it clear of the importance of this account. What must be noted is this. It wasn't so much the loaves or the fish that were multiplied. It was the broken portions of each that were multiplied. The broken portions of each he distributed to his disciples who then went and gave to the people. The broken portions you see, the people ate to their hearts and stomachs content, and, and for a while they had no idea that the miracle was taking place. By the way, by the way, it wasn't the disciples that performed the miracle, because all they did was distribute the miraculous portions of Jesus. The loaves and the fish no longer belonged, as I said to the boy, they belonged to Jesus. So what Jesus can do with what he has in his hands, 
is what we need to focus on. But here's something to think about. Bread itself comes from grain. And we're told here it's barley. But bread itself comes from grain. And it is the grain that contains the power of multiplying and reproducing within itself. You know, you get seed, and then what do you do? You plant the seed, and what happens after a few weeks? You know, the, you know, the seed starts to germinate, and then, you know, you start to water it and whatever, and then the sprout comes up, and then all of a sudden, you know, in time you have a, a stalk, and then you have the corn of the grain that you can take, and, and, and then you do what you do with it, you see. But to make bread, now listen carefully, to make bread, you must crush the grain, and in so doing, the grain dies. The grain dies when you crush it. Someone once said that no one ever multiplied wheat by planting flour. <laughs> F-L-O-U-R. <laughs> Don't go out and take your Pillsbury because it's not going to do anything out in the ground. But as we've already learned about Jesus, he can bring life from death, can't he? Jesus can bring life from death as he multiplied loaves from the dead, or from dead, crushed grain, and two dead fish. The Lord met the people's need, and he filled them. In fact, he more than met their need. There, were, there, there was leftovers. There were leftovers. There were leftovers. Twelve baskets full. Why twelve baskets? Some would say that because there were 12 disciples, disciples, 12 servants, 12 servants who had so obediently and trustingly helped Jesus, which the Lord was supplying for them that would last for days. Now it is true that the Lord does always provide abundantly for his true servants, doesn't he? Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We know that. That's not a surprise thing for us. But I want to submit to you today that these disciples' gathering of the 12 baskets was part of what the Lord was teaching them to remind them that he is more than able and more than adequate for their needs. They would fail many more times in trusting and believing that Jesus was their true Messiah but the Lord would continue with them. Aren't you glad for that? Because you know what it says? Even when we fail, sometimes, you know, as a matter of fact, Paul told Timothy, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. So thank the Lord that he remained with them. You know, isn't it great that after this whole incident and the disciples are like, hey, well, well, wow, you know what? You know, the Lord said, you know what? I'm tired of you guys, man. You don't believe me. You don't trust me. I'm going to pick 12 more, by, 12 more guys. You can go and go back to whatever you did. Aren't you glad he didn't say that? It reminds us of the patience that God has with us. Never forget that. Now do something about it, but never forget that. Trust him. Believe in him. But, but don't forget this. Even when you don't, he loves you. And he continues with you. As he continues with us to teach us these truths. And I'm going to close with these verses of scripture for today. 
But I want you to understand the depth of the truth is that Jesus wants us to understand, that Paul wants us to understand, that the, uh, the psalmist wants us to understand. Are you ready? That Solomon wants us to understand? All right, first of all, Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Remember that. Remember that. Remember that truth and that teaching. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What was the first thing Jesus taught out of the boat? He taught the multitude the things of God. About Jesus, this is not Jesus speaking, but about Jesus it says, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Luke 1.37. It was about the birth of Christ. For with God nothing shall be impossible. There's a truth we need to believe. I don't believe in science. I believe in God. We can believe in science that fits the word of God. And that is proper science. But we must first above, above all believe God. Paul in Hebrews 11 verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Let's learn that. Let's remember that. The psalmist teaches us in Psalm 37, verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The word commit there in the Hebrew is a very, a, a very significant word because it means to roll our lives, to roll everything upon him. So think about rolling your life and everything about you on Jesus Christ. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Lastly, Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. I began by talking about people today who profess Christ, but don't believe the things that happen in the word of God. That's leaning on your own understanding. In the beginning, God... If you believe those four words of Genesis 1-1, you can believe everything else in the scripture. Because that's how great our God is. That's how great our Savior is. That's how great our Creator is. That's how great our Redeemer is. That's how great Jesus is. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your love and grace. We thank you for your mercies that are overflowing. We thank you, Father, for the gift of life through Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is nothing that we lack as long as we have you and we have Jesus. We do pray that you continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit. We do pray, Father, that you continue to give us wisdom and understanding in your word. We do pray, Father, that you will continue to lead us and guide us into all of your truth, that you will continue to grow us in your faith, that you continue to make us mature believers in Jesus Christ. At whatever level we're at this moment, Lord, make us 
sit down on your green pastures. Lead us beside your still waters so we may know without any doubt that you are the one who provides our every need. And Lord, I thank you that we can cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. If the Lord has stirred your heart up a little bit today and you just want to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ or you just want to thank the Lord for something or you want to lift up something or someone unto the Lord in prayer. As soon as we finish our closing song here as we dismiss this morning, when, when we're done singing, if you need prayer, just come on up here to the front and someone will be available to pray for you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Don't forget that uh, this Wednesday night we'll need a little bit help after service to clear out half of the chairs uh, for the uh, craft fair. And then we'll need some people to sign up and help for Saturday after the craft fair, about 3 o'clock. So we appreciate all of that. And, and uh, may you just continue to be blessed by the Lord. And may you be a blessing to those who need Jesus this week. Let people know that Jesus is still coming and that they need to know him. Amen? All right. Love you guys. God bless you.